It's Monday, October 8th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are beginning a year-long study on the book of Acts, and we will be looking specifically today at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So earlier in the year, we were studying the book of Luke, which was written by Luke the physician. And so now we are undertaking the second volume, which Luke wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Acts is the birth, history, and mission of the church. And so if we are going to equip the body of Christ here at Lifeline to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children, then it's imperative and vital that we study the church, her history, and her mission. And the mission of the church is our mission. We were not created as at Lifeline as a ministry to still glory from the church or to rival the church, but to serve and complement the church. Also, hopefully, all of those who are listening to this podcast were a part of a local body of believers. Therefore, it's of great importance that we understand the history of the church, which Christ died for. And so that brings us here to the opening verses of Acts chapter 1. So starting in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I wrote with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come among you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as he has gone into heaven. Luke and Acts are a two-volume work written by Luke to Theophilus, which means friend of God in Greek. Theophilus was Greek, and therefore he was a Gentile. And this reminds us that Luke wants to display that his gospel, that this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, came. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, not just for the Jew, but for every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we will see in Acts the historical details of how the early church spread from Jesus. Jewish believers to the Gentiles. Oh, Luke wrote more than the New Testament than the Apostle Paul, and he took it upon himself to write down the most exhaustive and comprehensive recording of the life of Christ, coupled with the death, resurrection, and thrive of Christ, and the thriving of the local church by the hand of the Holy Spirit. So remember that Luke is a physician. He's a fellow worker of Paul's in his itinerant ministry. Luke is one uh, with whom Paul said stayed with him to the very end. And like he says in 2 Timothy, Cretans and Demas, these close associates, fell away. Yet John, Mark, Mark, John, Mark and Luke were there to the very end. So Paul calls Luke beloved. And this is not a small testimony 
to the faithfulness of Luke. We also know that Luke was a humble man. Right Through this two-volume work, he never tells us much about himself, but he's content instead that Jesus and the Holy Spirit receive the attention and the glory. Luke, as a physician, is precise in wanting to bolster confidence in the gospel. Acts is a historical book, a detailed book, a political and an intellectual book, but don't miss it. It's mostly an evangelistic book which demonstrates the supernatural power of God to spread his church. The first five verses we see here in Acts chapter 1 are just a segue between Luke and Acts. Luke reminds us that the posture of the disciples and Jesus at the end of Luke. But Luke also makes sure that we know that Jesus was truly alive after the resurrection. Verse 3 says again, he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus presented himself alive and he continued his ministry. Luke with precision wants us to know that the risen Christ was not an apparition, but was bodily resurrected and continued his mission, right? Jesus didn't just stop. Jesus continued his mission. He didn't just come and eat fish and and, and be a hologram on the wall every so often the disciples. No, Jesus was continuing for 40 days to teach and preach about the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus was uh, continuing his ministry and the disciples were participating in that ministry. But also Luke wants us to be spellbound by the ascension of Christ. In verse 2 of Acts chapter 1, we see this word taken up. It says that the, the that Jesus was teaching until the day that he was taken up, verse 2. And then we see at the end of this passage, in verse 11, that the, when these two men stand by the disciples in white robes, they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, again, who was taken up. We see that the term taken up is used to describe the ascension. And we, we see the bewilderment of the disciples. This was, this was not just a disappearing act. This was a grand finale. This was Jesus being taken up into the sky. And, and we see even their posture of just gazing into the sky. They were overwhelmed by the ascension of Christ. Oh, but this ascension, as we will see, is, is such a fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament. There's so many places we could go in the Old Testament that said that the Messiah would be high and lifted up, that he would be taken up. But one of the places that, that I want us to look, because it so foreshadows the power of the Holy Spirit that overshadows these disciples, and that's found in Psalm chapter 24, when King David says, starting in verse 7, Psalm 24, verse 7, Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Yahweh, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And we see, O ancient doors is a reference to the temple. It's a reference to Jerusalem. Oh, it is a reference that the king is leaving Jerusalem. He is being lifted up and he is going into heaven. Beloved, the king of glory ascended, but he left for us a helper that would make us strong, mighty, and ready for battle. You see, the king of glory goes up in power. He goes up in might, not the way that they, they were expecting. 
right? No, as a matter of fact, the disciples were, were expecting something different. They were expecting a, still a political kingdom. They were, they were expecting Israel to be made new, for Jerusalem to be the holy city. And, and what we see in Psalm 24 and what we see through the ascension of Christ is Christ is reminding them, I came in glory. I came in strength and majesty. And I am ascending in strength and majesty. But I will send you a helper and I will be with you always. And so the disciples in verse 11 are bewildered, but obviously also a bit confused. This is why the angel has to come down and remind these disciples, you have a job to do. Don't you remember the words of Jesus? He's going to bring you a helper, right? And Jesus had said to them in John 14, verses 15 through 17, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The thing we see about the disciples is that they needed transformation, boldness, and they needed this helper. After walking with Jesus for three years, watching him be flogged and crucified, and then witnessing the victory of the resurrection, they still thought the kingdom was physical and that the Messiah's role was mainly political. Look again at verses six and seven of Acts chapter one. So when the disciples had come together, they asked him, Jesus, they said, Lord, when will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons, but the father has fixed by his own authority. Oh, the disciples still didn't get it, but neither do we, right? They were still looking for Jesus to come and make Israel great again, right? They thought Israel was going to be the hierarchy. They thought Israel was going to be the pinnacle. They thought there was going to be a physical kingdom. Oh, but we get sidetracked as well by the political and the physical We worry too much about the state of the Supreme Court, the U.S. President and Congress. Certainly, we aren't called to be apathetic, but we can't lose sight that the only sovereign is our God. And the only worthy message is the gospel. Our rightful home is not this country or this life, but our rightful home is the kingdom that the Lord went to go prepare. Oh, we are not about making Israel or America great again. We are about making the name of God high and lifted up. Oh, but Jesus would use these knucklehead disciples and he will use us despite our ignorance, our shortcomings and our weaknesses. And that's what the glorious uh, thing that is captured by Luke in Acts 1, 8 that Jesus says. This is Luke's version of the Great Commission moment. And it recaptures what we see in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 49. First, Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, 45 through 49, he opened the minds of disciples to understand the scriptures. And he says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, right, to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with what power from on high. So Jesus and Luke are teaching us that there is a special power which is essential for expanding witness to Christ. These disciples were already Christians before they received this power that Jesus was promising. In fact, they were remarkably lively Christians before this power fell upon them at Pentecost and then fell upon them repeatedly throughout the book of Acts. What were the disciples doing while they waited to be clothed with power from on high? While while they waited to receive the special power of the Holy Spirit? Well, they were doing two things. Luke 24 tells us that they were continually in the temple, in a public place, worshiping God with great joy. And then Acts chapter one, verses 13, 14 tells us that they were meeting continually in an an upper room, devoting themselves to prayer. 
So they were praying in their smaller assembly and they were joyfully worshiping and blessing God in the public temple. But special power and a special helper were needed to effectively help them spread the gospel. You see, the Holy Spirit is vital to our mission. Arthur Pearson, who was a Presbyterian minister and was said to be responsible for starting the student volunteer movement that took missions to a new level in 1882. Pearson wrote that three things were needed to finish the Great Commission in our lifetime and to evangelize the world. Number one, he said the whole church needed to be involved. Number two, he said that evangelistic zeal was needed in the lives of believers. And number three, he said, the baptism of the power of the Holy Spirit was needed. You see, beloved, we cannot see the Great Commission fulfilled and we cannot see the world, every tribe, tongue and nation known without the power and without the the, the help of the Holy Spirit. So as we see words of Jesus, that the fulfillment of the mission comes from the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to look at what are the three roles we see in Acts 1-8 of the Holy Spirit. First, Jesus says, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power, right? The Holy Spirit, number one, fills us with power. We see the evidence of this in Peter's life. He goes from brash and independent to denying Christ and then becoming meek when eating fish with the resurrected Christ. As a matter of fact, we see the meekness of Peter after Jesus has been resurrected in John chapter 21, right? And in verse 15, Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And we know that that Peter's name had been changed from Simon to Peter. Peter meant rock. And so anytime that Jesus called Peter Simon, it was to get his attention. It was to say, you're not acting like the rock. And so he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then then Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus says, feed my lambs. And he says a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says to him, tend my sheep. And then he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the, the scripture says that Peter was grieved because he had said this to him a third time. And he, and he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. We see the meekness of Peter. He had gone from bold and brash and independent and relying upon himself to denying Christ and now meek eating fish with Jesus around a, around a fire. But when the power of the Holy Spirit rests upon Peter, his boldness is astounding and the mission is fulfilled. Acts 2.14 tells us that Peter goes out into public and starts to preach Christ crucified. He raises his voice and preaches a bold sermon. And then by, by verse 30, 41, he gives an altar call and we see that 3,000 souls are added to the kingdom. The Holy Spirit granted great power to Peter, a man who denied to confess Christ during the trial of Jesus. And then we see in Acts 4 that Peter and John are noticed by the Sanhedrin as bold, not a quality we would ascribe to these men when they were locked away, frightened in an upper room after the death of Jesus. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Then, after being told by the same Sanhedrin to stop preaching the gospel and to stop preaching about Christ crucified, we see in Acts 4.19 that James and John answer the Sanhedrin. Rather, it is right in the sight of God to listen to you. Rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. And then they further threaten them, and they let them go, finding no way to punish them. 
Oh, beloved, these were men that were frightened, that were scared. John ran away in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter chops off a, a soldier's ear and then runs away in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter is, is, is hiding and afraid to be identified with Christ. And now these men have great power in their lives because of the Holy Spirit. And so we see four evidences of the Holy Spirit's power in our life. Number one, conviction. We see in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. When God clothes his witnesses with that special power from on high, the effect is a deep certainty and confidence and conviction about Christ and the reality of his life and his work. Oh, but the second evidence of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives is courage and boldness. Right? Acts 4.31 says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Oh, one of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8, where Paul tells Timothy that God did not give us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but God gave us a spirit of power, a spirit of love and a spirit of self-control. And then he says to Timothy, do not be ashamed then of testifying about our Lord Jesus Christ, but take your suffering in the gospel, in the power of God. So where does this boldness come from? It comes from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Where does the courage to suffer for Christ come from? It comes from the power of God, the spirit of power. Beloved, to fulfill our vision of reaching orphans and vulnerable children with the gospel, we must have courage and boldness and be willing to suffer for Christ. This can only come through the Holy Spirit. But the third evidence of the Holy Spirit power in our lives is wisdom. Oh, it's wisdom. When the Holy Spirit falls upon you in power, your witness to Christ comes with convincing wisdom and irresistible words. Oh, Luke records for us in Acts 6, 5 that Stephen was, was chosen as a deacon because he was full of faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8 goes on to tell, tell us that he was full of grace and power and did great wonders and signs among the people. And then in verse 10, we see that Luke tells us that Stephen's witness to Jews in Alexandria and Cilicia and Asia, that, that it says this, it says, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Oh, it doesn't matter how educated or intelligent you are, unless the spirit comes upon you in power, when you witness to Christ, people will be able to twist what you say to make it sound unacceptable and foolish. The word of God says that this message is folly to those who are perishing. Oh, but if the power of the Holy Spirit comes down and you are clothed with heavenly wisdom, something supernatural will happen. Your words will carry an irresistible force. Oh, beloved, here at Lifeline, we are untrained, uncommon, uneducated men and women. Oh, but the power of the Holy Spirit is what gives us wisdom. The power of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the ability to go into all nations and to have the type of favor that we are able to have because we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit, which grants us great wisdom. Oh, but fourth, the fourth evidence of the Holy Spirit power in our lives is effectiveness. You see, we need the special power of the Spirit's fullness because the human heart is so hard to turn to God. Conversions are the work of God. Evangelism is a supernatural business, right? We need special power if we want an expanding witness that actually converts sinners. So the first role of the Holy Spirit is to give us power. But secondly, we see in Acts 1-8 that the second role of the Holy Spirit is to give us purpose, 
right? Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what? You will be my witnesses, right? The Holy Spirit gives us a purpose. He gives us power and then he tells us what to do. The Holy Spirit comes on people and they go out and speak and they give witness. They testify to what they have seen and heard. Our purpose is now transformed from living for our own selves in glory to now living for the glory and purpose of our great God. Peter in Acts 2.8 is quoting from the prophet Michael when he says, Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and preach. Oh, our purposes are radically transformed when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We at Lifeline are no longer just an orphan care, foster care, and adoption ministry, but we are now commissioned to be witnesses to, and to use our ministry for the proclamation of the gospel. May it never be said about Lifeline that we did a lot of good social justice, but may it always be said about Lifeline that we were about the proclamation of the gospel and discipleship. Oh, Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. So beloved, are you witnessing to the power of God? Is the Holy Spirit in you to give you great purpose to speak of his name? Oh, we are not just to show actions to the world that Jesus has saved us, but we are to use words. We are to consistently speak of the great name of Jesus. May the, we always preach Christ crucified. Oh, may we use our transformed life to show the glory of God. But when we preach with our mouth the words, because that's the purpose the Holy Spirit has given. So the Holy Spirit gives us purpose and the Holy Spirit has given us power. But lastly, the Holy Spirit outlines our plans. You see the roadmap that Jesus gives in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And then he tells them where and how in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. You see in Acts 1 through 7, the gospel goes to Jerusalem. And then at the end of Acts chapter 7, at the stoning of Stephen, we see that the gospel begins to spread to Judea and Samaria in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. And then we get to the end of Acts chapter 9, and, and you see the gospel has, has gone throughout Judea and Samaria, and now it's in the hands of Paul and his companions. And we see the church begin to take hold in Acts chapter 10 of the nations. Antioch becomes a sending base for the sending of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So from Acts 10 all the way to Acts 28, the gospel goes forth. We know, and as we read in Acts, we'll see that Paul had plans to even make it all the way to Spain with the gospel. And he never made it to Spain, but the gospel made it to Spain because of the faithful that had heard the gospel and proclaimed the gospel. And we today are sitting here in the United States of America, and we have this gospel because there were those that were faithful to take it Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. Oh, but we know that, that the end will come one day. And it's not from our astrology charts. It's not by going and studying the stars. It's not by trying to guess a day. No, it's by getting to be a part of the mission of God. You see, the plan is to take the gospel, the whole gospel to the whole world, through the whole church. Jesus says that the end will come when every tribe, tongue, and nation has heard the gospel of this kingdom. And so we must be spreading this gospel. We must be preaching this gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and with the plan of the Holy Spirit. So as we close, we have work to do with the help of the Holy Spirit. So beloved, let's stop just gazing at the sky, waiting for our Savior to return. And let's, with the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaim this glorious gospel through everything we do in our neighborhoods, Jerusalem, 
in our nation, Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost end of the world. Well, this week we are praying for the country of Togo, and we are specifically praying that the voodoo spirit would be torn down with the truth of Christ. We're praying that the church would rise up to engage in orphan care with the skills and abilities God has uniquely given the church. We're praying that God would raise up churches in the United States to champion the cause of the fatherless and to put Togo on their heart. We're praying that the gospel would penetrate the hearts of the people in Togo. We're praying that strong leaders would rise up to lead the nation of Togo in an ethical way. We're praying that a fresh vision of orphan care would be communicated to leaders so that holistic orphan care can go forth. We're praying for our partner, Pastor Francois, and we're praying for future growth in our partnership with him and the local church leaders in Togo. Pray with us for upcoming vision trips to Togo that Mike Edwards will lead, our unadopted director, as well as the next steps of partnership are clear during this time. We praise God for the change we've seen in Godwin and Winner and Bernard, who grew up in an orphanage in Togo and now use skills they've learned to help other orphans. And we praise God that he is living and active in faraway places like Togo. Many people have never even uh, seen or heard of the country of Togo, much less been there but we're thankful that God knows each and every person that lives in Togo by name, and he has destined them for his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the country of Togo. We pray that you would truly uh, tear down the spirit of voodoo that is there in Togo. We pray that you would raise the church up in Togo to be the bride of Christ, to spread the gospel glory throughout West Africa. Lord, we pray you'd use Togo as a little nation that may be insignificant to the world to to spread the glorious gospel to Sierra Leone, to spread the the glorious gospel to the, the, the reaches of West Africa where Islam has taken a grasp and the prosperity gospel is killing the people. Lord, would you use Togo and would you use uh, little boys like Godwin and Winter and Bernard who, who through the life skill camps of unadopted have learned skills and are now starting to transform their, their nation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you be with Pastor Francois as he continues to recover from his accident and he continues to minister throughout Togo. And Lord, be with Mike Edwards as he leads this trip, this vision trip to Togo in the months to come. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to work with the Togolese people. We thank you for the opportunity to be a part of the story of what you are doing in Togo. And we ask that you would bring the Togolese people to your great name, through your great gospel. It's in your great name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.